spiritual leader that I've called Follow the Leader. And you can follow me as I go get the clicker, which I forgot. And in this series, we've noted that there are four key leadership roles that have been assigned to men in the Bible. Two of those roles relate to the church and two relate to the home. So we began this month by looking at the two roles related to the church, and we talked about the spiritual leadership role assigned to men that we call shepherds or elders. And then we looked at the role of deacons. Last week, Ben uh, presented a lesson for us that addressed the first of the two male spiritual leadership roles assigned to the home, and that was the role of a father. And so that brings us today, as we conclude this series, to the final role that's been given to men in a leadership position, and that is the role of a husband. Now, we've spent this time this month focused on male spiritual leadership not because we want to uh, uh, elevate men to a superior position than women, and, and we want to undermine the women of the congregation and make them feel inferior to us. That's not the objective at all. If you were with us on that first Sunday, we noted that there is a decline of men in the church. Statistics show that there are less men going to church than there were before. And so we have a rising problem when we have these male spiritual leadership roles, but we don't have men to fill them. And it's not just a problem in the context of the church. It can be a problem in the context of the home. This morning, as we address husbands, I find this to be the easiest male spiritual leadership position to address. Because very clearly the Bible states that the husband is supposed to be the leader of the family unit in the context of the marriage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, where Paul says the head of a wife is her husband. Now, don't misunderstand that passage. That's not saying that the husband is the domineering type. That's not to say that the husband is supposed to have all control. That's not saying that the husband is greater than the wife. It's saying that just as Christ is the leader of the church, so the husband ought to be the leader in the home. And leading requires us as husbands to do some particular things. But that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, because as husbands, we've become accustomed to honey-do lists, right? How many of you husbands, and raise your hand if you will, how many of you husbands have ever been given a honey-do list? Please raise, oh, that hand went up fast. If you've ever been given a honey-do list, put your hand up. If you currently have a honey-do list, keep your hand up. There we go. We understand the honey-do list. We understand that there are some things our wives are going to ask us to do. We just interpret it differently. See, husbands, we think we can put it off until the last possible second. We, we have the mentality like this sign here, which says, Oh, there, ladies, if a man says he will fix it, he will. There is no need to remind him every six months about it. That's our mentality. But here's the mentality of our wives. 
They want it done now. And so they approach it like this sign, which says, now don't think of it as a honey-do list. See it more as I really want to sleep in my own bed tonight list. It's two completely different mentalities towards honey-do lists. But here's what I want you to understand tonight, or this morning. What I want you to understand is that you have a honey-do list from the Lord as husbands. And you really don't want to put that off. You don't want to put off anything the Lord has told you to do. Because you never know when He's going to return. So, this morning, all I want to do is take us to one passage, break it down, and show you some things that the Lord expects you to do as the spiritual leader in your house. And it's going to be the passage of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, if you'll turn there. We read it a moment ago. And the first thing I want you to understand from this passage is that husbands are to know the Lord's will. Now, when you read this passage, you're not going to immediately grasp where I'm going with this. But look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. It begins with the phrase, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That phrase, an understanding way, can be literally translated as according to knowledge. In fact, if you were to go look at the King James Version or the American Standard Version or the Young's Literal Translation, you will see this terminology. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. What does that mean? Peter's phrase here lacks any particular clarification. That's why most modern English translations have adapted it to convey the idea that husbands are to be considerate and understanding. And it's certainly not inappropriate to translate this as a reference to consideration and understanding. We'll get to that in a moment. But as some scholars have pointed out, the knowledge that's being suggested here may not be a reference to the husband's familiarity with his wife, but to an understanding of the Lord's will. So the, the phrase here may indicate, as one author said, that husbands should live together with their wives, informed by the knowledge of God's will of what he demands them to do. It may be that the phrase here is actually saying, husbands, you should live with your wives in such a way that you reflect your familiarity, your awareness, your understanding, and your appreciation of God's will for you. What is God's will for husbands? God's will is for every husband to be the head of his wife. We just read first, or just mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, where that is stated. But it's to be the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of every man. In other words, God wants husbands to provide spiritual headship in the home. He wants husbands to set the spiritual pace of the home. He wants husbands to provide spiritual sustenance for their wives. That's why after Paul said that women should keep silent in the churches, he followed that up with an instruction that said, if there is anything they, a reference to women, desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. 
That passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. And we tend to focus. Our liberation conscious society focuses on the limitations that are placed on women here. And we tend to overlook the responsibility that's placed on husbands there. Listen again to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35. If there is anything women desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Do you know what that implies? Husbands? That I better know the Lord's will and the Lord's word so that if my wife ever does approach me with a question, I can respond. There's an expectation underlying that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that plays off of this understanding of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 as a reference to knowledge of the Lord's will. There's an understanding here that the husband is going to have knowledge of the Lord's word and the Lord's will so he can convey it to his family. Who is it that Ben mentioned last week is instructed to train up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Who is given that instruction specifically? Fathers. Men, we're expected to be educators. We're expected to be knowledgeable. We're expected to be the ones in the home who are setting the spiritual standard and the ones who are providing spiritual sustenance. Now let me say this. That's not to say that the man is supposed to be the most intelligent one in the home. There are many homes represented in this room where that's not the case, right? That's some strong amens right there. But it doesn't matter if the wife may be the most knowledgeable. It doesn't matter if the wife may be the most biblically literate in the family. Husbands, you have an expectation that you're going to do everything in your power to be a spiritual provider in the home. Now, how many of you, and I'm not really wanting you to raise your hands, but how many of you are doing that job? How many of you are acquainting yourself so well with the Word of the Lord? You're so familiar with His will that you're able to direct the well-being of your family spiritually. Because if you're not living up to that responsibility, if you're not doing your part to provide that leadership in the home, then guess what? You're failing to complete the Lord's honey-do list for you. And, and, I, and I think this expectation stems from the very first marriage. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam functioned in that family, in that relationship, as the primary human representative in communication with God. He was the one who received instructions regarding what fruit could be eaten and what fruit could not be eaten prior to the creation of Eve. If you look at the text, nowhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 do we have reference to God communicating directly with Eve. All communication of God happened via Adam, as far as the text informs us. That means that if God never spoke directly to Eve, God expected Adam to be the one who communicated God's expectations to his family. And when God announced the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, have you ever paid attention to what he criticized Adam for doing? 
It's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. He criticized Adam for listening to the voice of his wife. Now, I don't think this is God's way of saying, hey, husbands, you should never listen to your wives. This isn't God demeaning women's advice here. What God is communicating to Adam is, you listen to your wife instead of me. You followed her lead instead of setting the lead. God pointed out that Adam followed his wife's will instead of leading her to God's will. And that's a failure of a husband, according to God's standards. So husbands, ask yourselves today, do I know the Lord's will and am I leading my family toward it? Because that's one of my responsibilities. But it's not the only one. Because not only are husbands to know the will of the Lord, but husbands are to understand their wives. Now, before we go any further, I need to let you know that if you're using a handout this morning, I mistakenly associated the verses with this point, with point number three, and vice versa. So, point number two on your handout actually needs the verses from point number three, and point number three on your handout actually needs the verses from point number two. The reason I bring that up is not that big of a deal, but someone's going to take great pride in approaching me afterwards and telling me I made a mistake if I don't bring up the mistake myself. So, I want to alleviate that opportunity for you right now. And let me also say this. I put this phrase up here that husbands are to understand their wives. And before we've explained this, I know what you're thinking. You ladies are sitting in here thinking, mm-hmm, preach it, brother. And you men are sitting there thinking, this guy's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. This is impossible. But look again at Peter's instruction in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I've already mentioned that from a, a liter literary standpoint, this could mean according to knowledge. But there is a reason why our modern translations have adopted this terminology to live in an understanding way. Because it is certainly the case that that's what Peter is referring to. It may just be that Peter is telling husbands to live with their wives in a way in which they're listening to, appreciating, and considering the needs and interests of their spouse. That's an expectation of us as husbands. That's an expectation that if you really look at the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is elevating wives to a position of equality with their husbands. Because he wants them to understand that their wives are their equals, not their inferior. We'll talk more about that in, mo in just a moment. He wants husbands to understand that you're not to dominate your wives. You're to appreciate your wives. You're to understand your wives. You're to listen to your wives. Think back to the very first marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, in the context of the very first marriage, the instruction that the husband receives is the leave and cleave principle. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When we think of that passage, we tend to think about the physical union that accompanies marriage. 
But there's more to it than that. The idea of becoming one flesh, the idea of leaving and cleaving are united in this passage. And the ultimate idea is that there's going to be such a, a union of, of persons in this new entity of marriage that you're equals and you're one and you operate collectively. And from the very first marriage onward, there is an expectation that the wife is going to be treated as an equal with the husband in order for that to happen. Husbands have to understand their wives. And I think this understanding principle applies best when we consider the instructions we receive as husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5. Now you're probably familiar with these instructions. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 that Paul presents what is commonly called his household codes. He'll give instructions to the wives, then he'll give instructions to the husbands, and then in chapter 6, instructions to children, to fathers, and then to servants and masters. But in Ephesians chapter 5 in particular, Paul instructs husbands to love their wives in verse 24. He'll also instruct wives to submit to their husbands and, and kind of define that submission as respect at the end of that chapter. Here's what's fascinating about the instructions to, for husbands to love their wives. A book came out several years ago by Dr. Uh, Dr. Harley, a Dr. Harley called His Needs, Her Needs. You may have heard of this book. It became a very popular book in Christian circles for uh, marriage counseling and things like that. In the book, His Needs, Her Needs, Dr. Harley argues that the number one emotional need of any woman is affection. The number one emotional need of any man is admiration, also called respect. Affection and admiration. Do you know what God has done in Ephesians chapter 5 via Paul? Years before any psychologist came along and put it in a book, God said, hey, the number one need of your wife, husbands, is for you to show her affection, for you to love her. And the number one need of your husband's wives is for you to respect him. God was doing psychology before psychology existed because God knows everything. We know that. In Ephesians chapter 5, God tells us as husbands, Here's what you need to understand about your wives. You need to understand that their number one emotional need is to feel loved, to receive affection. Now, here's where this idea of understanding your spouse comes into play. Not everybody understands love the same way. Not everyone communicates love the same way. Not everyone has the same love language. Now, I talked about love languages earlier this year in a separate sermon, not knowing I would get to this sermon at some point. We all speak love differently. For some of us, we communicate love best through acts of service, by doing things for other people. For some of us, we communicate love best through words, through statements that communicate our our love, our pride, our enjoyment of each other. 
Others of us communicate love best through gifts, through giving and receiving items that show our affection. Still others of us communicate love best through the time we spend with one another. Quality time with your spouse communicates that love. And then there are still others of us who communicate love best through physical touch, through warm embraces, cuddling on a couch. We all have love languages. And it's rare, as someone who does premarital counseling, it's rare that I find two people who have the same love language going into their marriage. Do you know what that means? That means as husbands, we're over here speaking love in this way, and our wives are speaking love over here. And they're not matching up. So here's the responsibility you have, husbands. It's not to communicate love on your terms. It's to learn your wife's love language and to communicate love on her terms. My love language is acts of service. I tell you what, if Sarah ever wants to show me she loves me, if she'd show up and mow the yard, that would say everything I need to know right there. But that's not Sarah's love language. Sarah's love language is giving and receiving gifts. That's why I have no money. No. Gift giving doesn't require lots of money. Gift giving is about making an intentional effort and contribution to do something for them, to give them something. I'm not really good at communicating that love language. I have to be intentional about that when I do it because it's not my love language. You don't have to give me a thing. Just do something for me. And so if we want, as husbands, to communicate love to our wives, don't do it on our terms. Learn their, uh, their love language. Understand them and communicate on their terms. It may mean that if your wife's love language is quality time, you're going to have to start setting time aside just for you and her to be together. Maybe an hour every night where it's just the two of you alone after the kids have gone to bed that you're going to turn off the TV and you're just going to be together. Or maybe you need to set aside some weekend getaways where the two of you go off and are alone together for a while. It's just the two of you. If your wife's love language is physical, maybe in the evenings you need to set aside some time for just cuddling together on the couch. Maybe you need to hold her hand out in public. Maybe you need to uh, give her that goodbye kiss every time you leave the house. Maybe you need to find a way to communicate that love language if her love language is acts of service. Maybe when you come home, instead of letting her do the dishes or letting her do the laundry or letting her clean the house or letting her take care of the kids, you do it. You step in and take the responsibility away from her, and that communicates your love language. If your love language is, I forgot, the, the words of affirmation, if her love language is, is words, Maybe you make sure you say, I love you. Maybe you just send a card or a sweet text every once in a while. You send and communicate words that demonstrate your affection for her. It's all about you learning her love language, not about her learning yours. So we as husbands have this responsibility to understand our wives, and the best way we'll show that understanding is if we learn how to communicate our love for her. Because God's assignment for us is to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
So husbands, on your honey-do list from the Lord, you're supposed to understand your wives, and you're also supposed to honor them. Going back to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, I know for a great many of you women who are listening right now, for us to read a passage that says you're the weaker vessel is very offensive. But we need to understand the context of what Peter's talking about. So before you start hurling stones at me up here, let's understand why Peter used that language. You need to understand what Peter's doing in this epistle. He's instructing Christians how they ought to conduct themselves in a variety of relationships. So if you back up to 1 Peter chapter 2, you look at verse 13 through 17. He gave instructions to citizens as to how they should relate to the government, particularly to the emperor. And then if you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, I mean 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 21, he gives instructions to slaves regarding how they should relate to their masters. And it's only after he's addressed citizens' relationships to the to the emperor and slaves' relationships to the master that he gets to wives and their husbands. This context is important because throughout these instructions, Peter is focused on the individual who is weaker in the sense of social entitlement and empowerment. Citizens, in comparison to the emperor, are weaker. Slaves, in comparison to the master, are weaker. Wives, in comparison to the husbands, are weaker, socially speaking. And so just as citizens lack authority in relation to the emperor and the servant lacks authority in relation to the master, the wife is weaker in the sense that she lacks authority in relation to the husband because God said, let every man be the head. And to ensure... And to ensure that his readers didn't misunderstand him as saying that women are inferior to men, Peter made sure to identify them as spiritual equals by referring to them as co-heirs of grace. Did you catch that last part of this passage? After, saying, after instructing men to show honor to the women as the weaker vessel, he says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Peter refers to them as co-heirs of grace, to illustrate that they are equals. He is in effect saying you're both receiving the same level of God's grace, husbands and wives. Therefore, husbands, you are not superior to your wives, but you may live in a society where women are suppressed and therefore treated as inferior, and your responsibility is to honor them. And this expectation goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what Adam was made from? He was made from dirt chapter 2 and verse 7 of Genesis. And what was Eve made out of? Adam's rib, according to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21. I think that's why boys like to play in the dirt and girls don't. I don't know. But do you think about that? Women are made out of the rib of man. And I think that choice of a, a bone is significant. The first wife wasn't created from a bone in the first husband's foot so as to symbolize that he has dominance over her. 
And she wasn't made out of a bone from his head so as to demonstrate her authority over him. She was made out of a bone from his side. And that symbolizes her role as her husband's companion, helper, and equal. And this equality is important to grasp if you're going to appreciate and apply what Paul says about marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, particularly verses 32 and 34. That whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter on marriage, and there's so much we could be talking about from that chapter. But I want you to notice what Paul says as he debates the positives and negatives of the married life versus the single life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Did you see the difference? Unmarried men can focus solely on pleasing the Lord. Married men have to split their focus, pleasing the Lord and pleasing their wife. And you know what? That sounds like it's wrong. Shouldn't all our focus be on pleasing the Lord? Shouldn't everyone's singular focus be on pleasing the Lord? Yes. But Paul concedes that when you're married, you have to give some consideration to your wife, not, not consideration that takes away from pleasing the Lord, but consideration that includes your wife in the process of pleasing the Lord. He doesn't say it's wrong to have a focus on pleasing your wife. And he's going to turn around and give the same instructions to wives regarding their husbands. And the whole point is this, that part of my responsibility as a husband is to please my wife, to show her honor through pleasing her. How do you please your spouse? Does it mean you make them happy? Is that the objective? Not entirely. That term translated please means to accommodate oneself to the opinions, desires, and interests of others. So your responsibility as a husband and a wife for that matter, but since we're talking to husbands today, your responsibility as a husband is to accommodate your spouse's interests and desires. Do you know what that means? That means that marriage is not primarily about my wife meeting my needs. Marriage is about me meeting the needs of my spouse. When it comes to husbands and wives, we are equals in the sense that we have the same responsibility to prioritize each other in the relationship. And as husbands who have been tasked with spiritual headship in the marriage relationship, we should lead by example in this way. And that means accepting the Bible's call for selflessness. Some of us need to start applying some of Jesus' most basic teachings to the marriage relationship. Think about the golden rule where Jesus said, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Husbands, have you adopted that mentality in your marriage? Or think about the platinum rule, as one preacher calls it. It's John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus said, Love one another just as I have loved you. Husbands, have you adopted that mentality and that practice in your marriage? 
Do you treat your wife the way you want to be treated? And do you love your wife the way that Christ loved you? If you can say yes to those things, then you're doing a great job. But if you can't, if your marriage is more about you than it is about her, if your expectation is that she's going to cater to all your whims and you're never going to cater to hers, then you've got a false perception and you're not holding up your responsibility as a husband. There is a clear expectation in Scripture that we will live in such a way that denies self and exalts others, and that goes for the marriage just as much as it does for the rest of our life. Expecting your wife to cater to your needs violates the scriptural mandate for you to be selfless. So husbands, ask yourselves today if you're fulfilling this part of God's honey-do list for your life. Finally, as I try to wrap this up a little bit quicker, there's one fourth thing we have to do as husbands. We have to protect our wives. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm locked and loaded. I'm protecting my wife. It's not just about that. We need to protect them spiritually. Did you notice why Peter said husbands should honor their wives in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7? If you look back at that passage one last time, you'll see at the conclusion of the verse, the reason he said husbands should honor their wives is so that your prayers may not be hindered. That phrase implies that there are spiritual consequences when you fail to lead. Throughout Scripture, God's refusal to hear and or answer the prayers of some individuals is mentioned. And one of the more popular passages is Psalm chapter 34, verse 15 and 16, where David said, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. David's words seem to imply that God is attentive to the righteous, but He is inattentive to the unrighteous. And what's so very interesting about that passage is that Peter quoted it just five times verses after he gave these instructions to husbands. This verse was on his mind when he gave instructions to husbands. And when Peter quoted David, he used it to establish his case for doing what is right, even in the face of persecution, so that your conscience may be clean and Christ may be honored. Peter seems to imply that a failure to observe this dynamic in the home, this husband's leadership dynamic in the home is equivalent to a failure to obey God, and therefore it can have a negative impact on one's relationship with God. So Peter's instructions provide a protective function for the family and for the marriage. They warn us of danger we expose ourselves to spiritually when we fail to follow the household codes of the Bible, the instructions that are given to husbands and wives in the Bible. And I want you to think back to the first marriage once again. The first marriage epitomized the failure of spiritual leadership by husbands in the home. Because if you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, when Eve is tempted to eat of that forbidden fruit, she takes it, she eats, and she turns and gives it to her husband who was with her. To me, the greatest 
failure in the Garden of Eden was not the failure of Eve to avoid eating the fruit. It was the failure of Adam, the one that God had communicated the directives to. The failure of Adam as her husband, as the leader of that family unit. Present with her in the garden, the failure of him to say, no, honey, God told us not to eat that. We're not going to eat it. That's the greatest failure in the garden. Adam failed to protect himself and his wife spiritually in the Garden of Eden. And that's an expectation that God has of you and I as husbands to protect our marriages, to protect our homes as husbands and as fathers, as Ben talked about last week. So the question for you today is, how are you doing at protecting your family? As a husband today, are you providing the spiritual nourishment and education that your family needs? Are you understanding your wife? Are you treating her as your equal and demonstrating your love for her in her language? Are you honoring your wife? Are you ensuring that your relationship is pleasing to her just as it should be pleasing to God? Are you protecting your family, spiritually speaking? God has some things He expects us as husbands to do. And the question for today, husbands, are you doing it? There's a story told about an old farm couple who were riding along in their pickup truck one day when the wife said to her husband, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. For you young ones, trucks used to have a bench seat in the front. And you could ride right next to each other in the front seat. And the husband responded to her when she said that. While he's driving, he looked at her and said, Well, I haven't moved. Husbands, here's the point. It's our God-given responsibility to be the ones that never move in the marriage. We're called to be the head of the home. Are you doing it? If not, we offer an invitation today for you to correct, for you to admit your failings, and for you to change. But it may be that we have some here who aren't husbands, and you're sitting there thinking, how does this apply to me? Well, we're all called to love one another, right? We're all called to be selfless. We're all called to protect ourselves spiritually. We're all called to know the Lord's will. So even though I've directed every one of these points specifically towards husbands, they all apply to every one of us. And so if you're here today and you recognize that you have not been living up to the Lord's will in any way, shape, or form, 
or if you're here today and you recognize that you haven't treated people the way you should, or if you're here today and you recognize that you're in danger spiritually, then we offer the invitation for you to come and make things right with the Lord, whether you need to do that by being baptized today so that your sins can be washed away, or whether you need to be restored to the church today. Whatever that need may be, we offer the Lord's invitation at this time so that maybe you'll come while together we stand and sing. I am resolved, O oh Lord.